0: This Sabbath, um, I'm actually beginning a series on the book of Jeremiah, something that years ago when I was in college, I remember I had one of my fellow students in school that was bold enough to do a week of chapel at school on the book of Jeremiah, and I remember thinking to myself, I am not there yet, I, I just don't have the guts to tackle something like this, but years later... Uh, I found some great resources and um, I finally mustered up enough uh, courage, you might say, to tackle this book. My series is called From Sorrow to Hope. And before we begin, I'm just going to invite you wherever you are to just bow your heads with me as we have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for this beautiful day. It's such a gorgeous Sabbath right now. And as we look at this book this book of Jeremiah. It's my prayer that each one of us can take away comfort, uh, especially during this time of social distancing and uncertainty economically. We just ask that your your words would resonate in our hearts, for we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, so the series is entitled From Sorrow to Hurt from sorrow to hope, but the specific message that I'm sharing with you today, I've entitled this message called and chosen. Now, when I study the Old Testament prophets, what I like to do is I like to begin by knowing the theme. And here's a clue. This is a pattern that is found throughout the entire Bible. Whenever you have an Old Testament book that, that is headed by the, the name of a minor or major prophet, almost without exception, the name of the prophet, the meaning of the name of the prophet is the theme for that book. Like For example, um, the book of Zechariah, that actually means Jehovah remembers. And what's interesting is that Zechariah was written at a time um, after the captivity when God's people had a chance to go back but they started building the temple, and for 16 years, nothing happened. The book of Jonah, it, the name Jonah means dove. And we know that Jonah kind of flew away, like he, he was running away from God. Um, Jeremiah, and I've emphasized that last part, Yah, that last part, Yah, it means Yahweh. So scholars are not agreed on the exact meaning of the Jeremiah part. Okay, Jeremiah. But what we do know is that there's two options, and basically one means Jehovah exalts, in other words, Jehovah lifts up, or Jehovah casts down. Now, there's kind of a polarity of, of, of possibilities there, but what's very interesting is that the message of Jeremiah was written about 650 years before Christ came to this earth, And it was written right before the Babylonian captivity. And why that's important is because God was was trying to draw his people back through tender entreaties. And they had an option. You know, God could reestablish them or he could allow them to suffer the consequences of their choices. So the name Jehovah exalts or Jehovah casts down is fitting for this book. It happens to be a theme that is prevalent throughout the entire book of Jeremiah. I want to begin with you in the book of Jeremiah chapter 1, and I'm going to start from verse 4. If you have a Bible at home, if you are using a phone or some electronic device, I would encourage you to open it only because sometimes seeing it for yourself can make a difference when you actually study the Bible, Jeremiah 1, verse 4, the Bible says, Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Verse 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now, this passage is just pregnant with amazing truth. And I don't know if you've picked up on it, but one of the first things that I want to point out, and, and it's, not my, it's not my desire to get into an ethics debate, but God actually said to Jeremiah, I knew you before you were born. In fact, it's very specific. It says, before I formed you in the belly I knew you. So, you know, this has ramifications for the current debate on, you know, choice and abortion and all of these things. But it is so profound, this idea that God knew us even before we were born. And, you know, there's a, there's a, a level of intimacy here because God says that I formed thee in the belly and I knew thee. Now, I know that many of you are aware that God made Adam and Eve. You know, he formed man out of the dust of the earth, and then he formed Eve from a rib of Adam. But maybe some of you don't realize that that same personalization that God performed in the creation of Adam uh, also existed when you and I were made. Now, I know that for some of you, you're like, nah, you know, that, I don't think that. But you can go back and you can check. The original Hebrew is the exact same when it says God formed man of the dust, when it says God formed, you know, formed you, Jeremiah, in the in the womb. It's the same exact word. And this concept, yes, God uses natural means. I don't want to negate the, the role of a man and a woman in this process, but make no mistake. God has a a Part in the creation of each person. There's a level of intimacy, and that word "I knew thee." I'm sure many of you realize that it it's it indicates God's um, intimate knowledge of who we are, and that gives us really it gives us an element of hope because we are not just some biological accident, uh, but rather we have been made. By a loving creator. And I want to to, um, extend this idea out just a little bit, because when we read that about Jeremiah, we say, okay, if that's true, well, God says that about Jeremiah. But the Bible gives us reason to understand that that foreknowledge of God. It applies to every single human being. This is from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, According to the good pleasure of his will. That's verse five of Ephesians 1. What does these verse tell us? These verses, what do they tell us? They tell us, number one, that God already chose us before the foundation of the world. Now, that seems a long time ago. You know, we when we think of, of our existence, we often think, well, you know, I was born 30, 40, 50 years ago. But the Bible says that God understood that we would come, and he chose us before the foundation of the world or before the earth was made. And in fact, it even says that he predestinated us. Now, that word is often avoided in Christian circles simply because it it conjures up or it has a connotation that is preset in many minds, a very kind of a Calvinistic bent towards, you know, no moral, or I should say, yeah, no no freedom as far as choosing our, our ultimate salvific destiny. But I want to say very plainly that every one of us was predestined to be saved. And that truth is revealed in Ephesians 1, 4, and 5 in this manner. You see, God did not come up with the plan of salvation after man sinned if you read Revelation, it says that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, meaning that even before sin came into this world, God already had a plan to save man, understanding that if man chose to sin, there would be a plan for redemption. So in this sense, we have been predestined to be saved. God understanding that if man didn't sin, we would spend eternity with him. But if we did sin, God had a plan to save us and to allow us to be adopted as his children. So again, I don't want anybody to get the wrong idea that, you know, God in some way locks people into a a decision irrespective of their choice of whether they end up in heaven or hell. No, that's not what we're talking about. God predestined everyone to be saved. Of course, we have the decision to decide whether to accept that gift or not. Now, that being said, verse five that we have been reading in Jeremiah 1, it has more truth because not only does it say, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. Now, that word sanctify, it means to set apart for a holy purpose. So God not only formed Jeremiah, not only did he make him, but God also designed him for a specific work, okay? And what did he design him for? I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Now, what does that mean? Um, It means that God, even before Jeremiah was born, God had a specific plan for his life. He had a job, not a nebulous job, like, you know, I want you to be a good person. No, it was a specific call. He said, I want you to be a prophet. I want you to be my mouthpiece to the nation of Judah. Now, I want to tell you something. Um, this, This concept of God having a specific plan for people is not unique to Jeremiah. In fact, in just a moment, I'm going to demonstrate that every person has this exact thing. But I want to read you something from a a famous Christian writer. Now, some of you may have never read him before. His name is F.B. Meyer. Frederick, I think it's Brotherton Meyer. But I've read quite a few of his books. Great biographer, by the way. Great Bible biographer. But this is what he had to say. From the foot of the cross, where we are cradled in our second birth, To the brink of the river where we lay down our armor, there is a path which he, speaking of God, has prepared for us to walk in. Now, I'm going to read one more Christian author. This is from a book called Christ's Object Lessons. And this is what this says. Not more surely is the place prepared for us in the heavenly mansions then is the special place designated on earth where we are to work for God. Now, what does that mean? In essence, every person that's ever born, they have a special work that God has appointed them to do. And as I, if I go through the Bible, this will become clear. Like think of John the Baptist. If you read the Gospel of Luke, his father was approached by an angel. And the angel doesn't say, hey, good news, Zechariah, you're going to have a child. I mean, he does say that. But he also says, look, this is what he's going to do. And you have to make sure that he grows up like this. And he's going to be, you know, in God's sight, he's going to be great. All of these very specific details. Now, some of you are saying, okay, well, that was Jeremiah, that was John the Baptist. But There's other people in the Bible. If you look at Isaiah chapter 45, there was a man, a king by the name of Cyrus. Now, if you're not sure about this, you can go back and read Isaiah 45. But the Bible says that Cyrus didn't even know God. But God says about Cyrus, he says, look, I girded you, which means like I fitted you, I prepared you. I have even named you, even though you do not know who I am. And God says about this Cyrus, 150 years before he's born, you're going to open these gates, you're going to conquer this kingdom, you're going to be my shepherd, you're going to do my bidding. And Cyrus wasn't a Jew, he wasn't a Christian, he wasn't a believer. And yet, his very specific destiny is outlined by God in the sacred writings of scripture. I could give you the story of Samson. His parents also were were approached by an angel who told them that there would be this child that would be born, that would be a deliverer. I could talk to you about Moses. Moses Moses coming and his birth was also prefigured. But even Jesus had this to say. I'm going to read from John 18, verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, art thou a king then? Jesus answered, thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Now, please listen to me carefully. This is perhaps one of the most important points in this passage. Every person before they are born has a specific destiny, a specific role that has been pointed out for them by God. And, you know, it's amazing because God gives us choice. We can choose to follow that destiny or we can choose to not follow that destiny. Scripture tells me that we will be the happiest and the most satisfied by doing what we were made to do. Wouldn't it be great that at the end of your life, you could say, you know what? This is what I was born to do. I am doing what I was born to do. This is why God put me on planet Earth. Wouldn't that be a a satisfying thing to be able to say? And and I know some of you right now are saying, well, you know, whatever we are, that's what we were born to do. No. Uh, And and I know that seems a little harsh, but I want to say this. Um, This is from a book called Education. Many are diverted from the line in which they might reach the truest success. Seeking greater honor or a more pleasing task, they attempt something for which they are not fitted. Many a man whose talents are adapted for some other calling is ambitious to enter a profession, and he who might have been successful as a farmer, an artisan, or a nurse fills inadequately the position of a minister, a lawyer, or a physician. There are others who... uh, there are, okay, there are others, again, who might have filled a responsible calling, but who, for want of energy, application, or perseverance, content themselves with an easier place. Now, what does that tell me? That tells me that there are some people that do something for a motive that may have blinded them to their real calling. And there are other people that are just not ambitious or, or not persevering or hardworking enough, and they could have done something you know, their truest calling, but they didn't strive to that calling. They didn't attain to the the level of development that they could have. I'm not here to try to make you question, you know, your major in college or your current profession. That's not my goal. What I do want to impress you with, or what the Bible is trying to impress us with, is this idea. Just as Jeremiah, before he was born, God had already outlined a plan for his life. You, my friend, have the same calling on your life. Not everyone has the same calling. We're not called to be a prophet to the nation of Judah. But I dare say that every person has a specific call given to them by God. doesn't mean you're called to the ministry. You know, there's people that are called to be accountants and nurses and teachers and physicians and and craftsmen and laborers. All of these things are necessary. But please make no mistake, we will find the greatest satisfaction when we enter into the purpose for which God made us. And by the way, um, if you're wondering, well, how do I find that? Uh, Two things I can say. Number one, do faithfully that which lies nearest to you. In other words, do whatever you are doing that's closest to you faithfully now, but watch for the indications of providence, okay? There are some great tips like this in the book Education on the chapter called The Life Work, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Okay, so having said that, there's another important truth that John 15 verse 16 tells us. I'm sorry, Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1 verse 5 teaches us, and that is that God chooses Jeremiah to work for him. Now, I know that as we sit here watching this today, some of you are saying, you know, I decided to follow Jesus, and I decided to give my heart to him at such and such a time. And that's true. I'm sure that that's true for for all of us. But do you know that even before you chose God, God chose you? John 15, 16, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain, that whosoever you shall ask of, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. What does that teach? It teaches that often we think, you know, I wanted this, you know, I I, I desire this thing. How do you know that it wasn't God that called you to do that? How do you know that it wasn't God that chose you to become and to do what you are? Some of you are sitting here watching this and saying, you know. I decided to join the church. How do you how how do you not know that perhaps God chose you to join the church? Okay. So this idea of calling and election. And may I say this? You know, even if you've been called, even if God has chosen you, I think every day we have to make our calling and election sure, right? But let me move on. Jeremiah 1 verse 6. Then said I, Ah, Lord God behold, I cannot speak. I am a child. So imagine now, we are told that Jeremiah received his calling to ministry when he was just a young man, maybe a teenager. Maybe he was 17, 18 years old. So when Jeremiah says, I cannot speak, he's basically saying, God, like, I don't have any experience. I've never done this before. Do you realize that when we talk about people being a witness, one of the first things that people will complain is, you know, well, I, I'm not a minister. Like, I, I, you know, I, I don't know a lot. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't even know what to say, you know? Um, do you realize that God remedies this problem that Jeremiah has very simply? Um, I want you to notice that. When Jeremiah says, hey, I can't speak, God says in verse nine, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. Now, right away, Jeremiah starts off by saying, look, God, I don't know if I can do this. I have never done this before. What, you know, what do I do? Do I just fake it? You know? And God says, hey, Jeremiah, I'm going to tell you what I want you to say. And he, he touches him and he puts his words in Jeremiah's mouth. When, when we hold seminars on how to witness to our neighbors and friends and relatives, one of the first and biggest and primary objections that people raise is they say, look, I don't, I don't know what to say. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't know how to approach my r- relatives or neighbors. They, they might think I'm, I'm wacko. And the fact is, folks, that more often than not, people don't know what we really are. When I say that, I mean, they don't know if we're Christian or if we're Adventist. They don't know that. That's probably more the error than, oh, he's too zealous he's too you know, fanatical or whatever, and, and we don't want to be fanatical. But my point is, more often we err on the side of people not really knowing where we stand than knowing clearly where we stand. I, I believe that God doesn't need us to know the books of Daniel and Revelation or all 28 fundamental beliefs in order for him to use us. Um, look at the woman at the well. This woman, all she knew was that Jesus knew her past history. And with, armed with that little kernel of knowledge, she basically brought an entire town to come to Jesus. And folks, like Jeremiah, you know, we're often beset by, Lord, I don't know what to say. If you've had a genuine experience with Jesus, that's all that you need. A genuine experience with Jesus is enough for Him to use you to reach people around you—your relatives, your neighbors, your friends, your associates, your colleagues at works. Uh, at work, God can use anyone that is willing to say what God wants them to say. Okay, and then He says, "Look, Lord, I'm a child. You know, I—I I mean, you know, I—I have—I I really don't have any experience in this at all." And Jeremiah is not saying he's nine years old. What he's really saying is kind of what Solomon said. Remember Solomon, when, when God came to him and said, Solomon, I'm going to let you lead this country. Give, ask me whatever you want, and I'm going to give it to you. And Solomon said in 1 Kings 3, 7, And now, O Lord God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go in or to come out. What he means is, look, I don't have experience. I, I've never done this. I've never led a nation before? you know How, what, what am I supposed to do? And this is when, when, when Jeremiah raises this objection, I'm just a child. God says, look, don't say that you're a child. And then he says in verse eight, be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee. The second biggest objection that people face when they think about Being a witness for Christ is, I'm afraid. And you know what we're afraid of? We're afraid of rejection. That's really what we're afraid of. We're afraid that people will be like, ooh, or, you know, they'll turn away. When I used to call Porter uh, canvassing, selling Christian books door to door, I probably had a ratio of 10 to one, 10 doors slammed in my face to one door that would actually open and actually be somewhat humane to me. <laughs> so I'm not saying you have to go through that. But there's something about being rejected a lot that you end up thinking, you know what, you, you'll, you'll never like rejection. But you're kind of like, it's not so bad. Okay, now, I'm not trying to set you up for rejection. But my point in saying this to you is, our fears are often founded upon things that really don't matter too much. Um, and, and, you know, it's interesting because God says, look, don't be afraid. Um, uh, if you read the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah had a really hard ministry. So he ministered under three different kings and they went from good to terrible and then mediocre. And like people tried to hang him. They tried to lynch him. He was betrayed. People like mocked him. They, I mean, you know, can you imagine like you're preaching somewhere and then People start throwing like fruit and vegetables, you know, and like he had, he had really, really bad experiences. And if you ever go to the Sistine Chapel and you look at the fresco, Michelangelo's, you know, the, the whole Bible illustrated thing. If you look at Jeremiah, um, Jeremiah is like, this is how he, he draws, he draws him. Like he's, he's leaning down and he's just dejected. Like Because Jeremiah's ministry was very hard. He had a really hard ministry. But what we gather from this is that God is telling Jeremiah, Jeremiah, look, don't be afraid of people. Like, don't be afraid of their faces. You just do what I ask you to do. And, um, you know, in the end, in the end, Jeremiah gives Israel, uh, sorry, Judah, he gives Judah um, the, the stirring messages of how they can be changed from their worldly backslidden position to becoming God's chosen people again. He gives this stirring message. And I believe that, you know, we, we all have some fear about witnessing to people around us. We all have some fear about going to people and sharing our faith. But in the end... If we can overcome that fear, if we realize, hey, God has commissioned me. Jesus said, go ye therefore into all the world and you know, preach the gospel and uh, teach all nations. You know? So the commission is there. Just like Jeremiah, we've been commissioned. If we can get over that fear, I believe that we can give hope. We can give help. We can give encouragement to people that are despondent and, and discouraged and down, especially during this time. Uh, I won't lie to you. Like, you know, my wife and I, we've been right before this whole outbreak, we were getting ready to invite our neighbors over to try to get to know them. And, you know, to to, to try to witness to them, but then the pandemic hit, and then we went into social distancing. So it kind of was like, whew, you know, like we have some time, but, you know, we're still like, we strategize ways, like, you know, how could we you know, reach out to these people and in a very nonchalant, but but deliberate way, how can we befriend them? That's our goal. You know, we want to make friends for Jesus. So I want to challenge you because as we read the story of Jeremiah, it's a hopeful message. It's a message that, hey, you know what? People may not receive you well, but God is going to be with you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to give you the words to say. And God has a special calling on your life. He has a specific purpose. It's not just, oh, pick one out of three million choices. No, God says, this is what I made you for. And so my hope is today that Jeremiah's message can be one that we can take to heart because God has called us. God has separated us for a special work. And God wants us to, se- wants to send us out to give his message to people. And he wants us to not be afraid. I hope that that's your experience and mine this week. And if you would bow your heads with me, let's ask God to give us that power today. Father in heaven, thank you for each one that has joined us today. And we ask that, like Jeremiah, we would recognize what our calling is, that we would be doing that which we were made to do. I pray that you will give us the words to speak and help us not to be afraid, even though some of us may have no experience, just like the woman at the well. Whatever we know, help us to be willing to share and use those results for your glory, not for ours, but for your glory and your honor. So thank you for hearing and answering these prayers, for we ask these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.